0: Well, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be with you today, to be worshiping our Lord, uh, our to be worshiping our Lord and Savior with you all. Uh, I I have two sons, Noah, who is two years old, and Peter, who is five. And daily, actually, not just daily, but a multiple times a day, they sin against one another, and with some help, uh, they confess. And they ask for mercy, and they forgive, and then they go about playing with one another. Uh, Children are not as good as adults are at hiding their sin. And so seeing this process multiple times a day for the past couple years now uh, has really given me a better understanding that God's mercy never runs dry for us seeing this process of sin and confession and mercy and then restoration playing together, that, that when, when we cry out to our God, His mercy is never running dry. The main point of the sermon is this. Confess and cry out to Jesus who is merciful and loving to save sinners. Confess and cry out to Jesus who is merciful and And loving to save sinners. We will see this in four points. Uh, In the first point, we'll do an overview of the psalm to get a big picture of what's going on. And then in point two, we'll look at verses one to five that describe the author's personal cry for salvation. And then point three is from verses six to 39, where we'll look at the writer's confession of sin. And then point four will be from verses 40 to 48, where we'll meditate on the mercy of God and our response to him. So let's get into it. Point one, the big picture. Point one, the big picture. Psalm 106 is connected to Psalm 105, which we looked at last week. Uh, If you weren't here or even if you were here, you might have forgotten. So let me summarize Psalm 105 so we can see how it connects. So both Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 call us to praise God for the awesome things that He has done. And then they give us a pretty long account of Israel's history that, 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 uh, that supports that call to praise Him. Now in, uh, in Psalm 105, the retelling of Israel's history is given in order to prove this point. It's that God made a covenant promise to Abraham and to his descendants that He was going to give them a land. And nothing was going to stop God from saving His people and from bringing them into that land. Psalm 105 then goes on to tell how God raised up Joseph to deliver Israel from famine. And then how God raised up Moses to save Israel. Israel from slavery in Egypt. Line after line in Psalm 105, it speaks of God's mighty works. It says He remembered. He raised up Joseph. He raised up Moses. He performed signs. He sent the plagues. And He delivered them. And why? It's because God remembered His covenant promise. So the point of Psalm 105 was... Praise God, who is powerful to save His people, despite the powers of the world trying to destroy them. But now Psalm 106, the point is this. Uh, Praise God, who is merciful to save His people, despite their wicked rebellion. So, in Psalm 105, God has shown that He's powerful to keep His promise, To save His people despite wickedness coming from the outside. But now here in Psalm 106, God is shown to be merciful and loving to save His people despite the wickedness that comes from within our own hearts. As we listen to Sister Katie read this psalm, the evilness of Israel's actions uh, might have surprised you. Uh, They get to the point of sacrificing their own children to false gods. Uh, But the psalm writer, uh, uh, as he recounts Israel's history, he's not doing it to say, hey, uh, look how bad they were. That's not what he's doing. He is doing it to say, God, I confess that I have sinned just like the people of Israel. So while Psalm 106 does call us to praise God, it's mainly a psalm of confession and a psalm of um, of someone crying for mercy to God. But what hope is there to be forgiven from such wickedness? Well, near the end of the psalm, the writer ends this recounting of, of, uh, of Israel's unfaithfulness by saying that God took note of the people's distress. He heard their cry. And for their sake, He showed them mercy because of His great love for them. And This is the hope of forgiveness that is seen uh, in this psalm. And this is the reason that there is praise in the midst of this psalm of confession after this recounting of terrible sin the foundation of this hope is that God is merciful to save those who confess and cry out to Him because He loves His people. Uh, fellow believer, uh, I know that we all struggle against old habits that try to pull us away from Christ. Uh, but when we see the mercy of God in Christ, we are not without hope. Uh, friends, God is merciful to save all those Confess and cry out to Jesus for salvation, despite how persistent or despite how 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 deep and how terrible your sin has been. So that's the big picture of Psalm 106. Now let's go back at the beginning. We'll walk through now and look at some of the details. So point two from verses one to five: a personal cry for salvation. A personal cry for salvation. In verse 1. The writer praises the Lord, and then he grounds that praise in the truth that God's love endures forever. The love of God enduring forever gives us hope that when we come to God in confession, that we will be welcomed as dearly loved children rather than being rejected as a guilty stranger. The Lord's love never runs dry for his people. And it endures forever. And that is the truth at which we can run to Him on. And look at, look at verse 4. Look at the plea there. He says, Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them. Notice the personal nature of this plea. Uh, he doesn't say, uh, Lord, remember us, or Lord, save us. Now, he will do that at the end of that psalm, but, but here in these verses, the focus is on his own personal deliverance. He says, remember me. Remember me, Lord. The gift of forgiveness and eternal life has always been something that is granted to people individually. Uh, for example, uh, a child does not become a Christian just because their parents are Christians. Each person has the duty to repent of sin and trust in Christ personally in order to be saved. In the Old Testament, not everyone, uh, not everyone who was a part of the Israelite community actually had personal salvation. Uh, Romans 11 is very clear in telling us that truth. Uh, There were certainly people who experienced the blessings of being part of the Israelite community, but that doesn't mean that they would spend eternity in heaven. For example, there were some Israelites who experienced the blessing of being delivered from slavery in Egypt because they were a part of the covenant community of God's people. But some of them would not experience eternal life because their hearts were hard And they did not believe God. And the Psalm writer recognizes this. And so he does not presume that his membership in the Israelite community means that he's actually forgiven by God. He is not content to simply get some of the social blessings of being a part of the Israelite community. No, he desires himself to be one of the chosen ones within the community. He desires to know the peace of having his sins forgiven. What can we take from this? Well, One thing is that uh, church membership is not a license for unrepentant sin. Uh, Today, in the New Covenant, after Jesus, the covenant community being His church is to be made up of people who are born again, those who have been given eternal life. And in this church, we try to put that truth into practice by having a membership process where we do our best to ensure that each person who joins the church is actually a believer. But we can't see people's hearts. Uh, We are not God. And sometimes we get it wrong. Uh, Brothers and sisters, church membership does not save you. Uh, There have been a lot of people over the past 2,000 years, who thought that they were good with God because they joined the church. But their hearts were not right with God. So don't be content with simply experiencing some of the social blessings of being a member of the church community. But seek the Lord in repentance that you may share in the joy of eternal life. In Psalm 106, uh, the writer's confession and cry for mercy is an indication that the Lord indeed has remembered him and included him among his chosen ones. Brothers and sisters, may uh, may our personal citizenship in heaven be evident as we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now let's now let's look at point three. Point three, from verses six to thirty-nine. Seeing and confessing our sin. Point three, seeing and confessing our sin. Uh, So verse six of this section is like the main idea. And then verses seven to 39 are just all the supporting information to that one main idea in verse six. Uh, Listen to verse six. He says, we have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. Notice in this confession, it's not just I now, it's we. The psalmist confesses his sin and the sin of the people. So it's not simply a personal confession. So just as we saw earlier, though the psalm writer certainly recognizes that he needs personal salvation, he does not use that as an excuse to say that he will live his his life of faith privately apart from the community. We are saved personally, but that doesn't mean that we live privately. That we, we are saved to live in community with others in the context of a church family. God binds believers together by giving us all the same spirit. And He gives us a unique love for one another. And and then in the community of the church, as we live together, that, that, that unity of the bond of the Spirit and that love for one another becomes evident. So brothers and sisters, since believers are bound together as one body, then we should grieve the sin of others in our church. Because they are a part of our body, and they are a part of the body of our Lord. Now, while, while we may not be personally responsible for their sin, that doesn't mean that we have no responsibility. Because, uh, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, then each believer is a priest. Meaning that each believer has the responsibility to serve one another, to help one another remain in Christ. We should pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters for God to be merciful to them and for them to turn back to God because we are a kingdom of priests. Jesus united Himself with us and He intercedes for us as our great high priest. Jesus doesn't tell us that, oh, your sin, uh, that's just your problem. No. Uh, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So as we're united to one another, then we should not just tell others, oh, hey, their sin, that's not my problem, that's just their problem. No. We should do the priestly work of carrying their sins to God in prayer and then helping them to leave the sin. Look back at verse 6 again. Look at verse 6. He says, we have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have sinned even as our ancestors did. And then in verses 7 to 39, uh, he describes many of the major sins of Israel from the time of the Exodus up through the time of the Judges. But what's his point in giving us this history of Israel? Uh, He's not doing it to point fingers at Israel and say, man, look how bad they were. That's not what he's doing. He is doing it to show that he is sinful just like they were. So, brothers and sisters, like the psalmist, uh, when we see other people's sin, uh, we should not judge them first, but we should look at ourselves to see if we are guilty of the same sin. Uh, the sin of Israel, or the sins of Israel, uh, that um, were, were not something that he was a part of. These The things that he's telling us happened long before he was alive. But he uses Israel's sin like a mirror in order to see the sin in his own life. Now, we don't have time to go through and look in detail at every sin that is mentioned here in Psalm 106. But I do want to go through and look at some of them. But before we get into the details of that, I want you to know that our purpose of doing this uh, is so that we would consider our own life and we would consider how we are guilty of the same sins. The first sin that we see in verse 7 is that they forgot the Lord. They forgot the Lord. Uh, This is the first uh, sin specifically mentioned in the psalm, and it's actually repeated several times. Look at verse 7. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. When was it that they gave no thought to God's miracles? It's while they were still in Egypt. The very time when God was actually when uh, when God was sending all of those plagues in order to deliver them. It was in that time that they did not consider the work of God. And then even though that they forgot the Lord, uh, the psalm tells us that God still delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh. But then after that deliverance, what sin do they fall back into? Well, look down, look down in verse 13. It says, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. But their forgetting doesn't end there. Uh, When uh, when God was giving the law to Moses, and Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and it was taken much longer than the people wanted, well, they made an idol to worship. And why did they do this? Look down at verse 21. Verse 21. It says, "...they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt." How could they forget the Lord in the midst of all those miracles when they had just seen God do powerful things? But we do the same. How can we forget God's kindness when regularly we see God bringing people to faith in this church community and in other churches around us? How can we forget the Lord's mercy when month after month we take the Lord's Supper together? How can we forget God's Word when it is preached to us week after week and when we have it accessible to look at every day? Forgetting the Lord means that we set our thoughts on earthly things. It means to make decisions based on our desires and we just simply neglect the desires of God. And forgetting the Lord leads us to all kinds of evil. So consider your own life. Uh, Do you think about the Lord? Or do you simply think about what you think is best in your life? uh, As you think, do you disregard God and His desires? Consider that. Let's look at the next sin. The next sin we see is is, is the sin of discontentment. We can see it in verse 14. Verse 14. It says, In the desert they gave in to their craving. In the wilderness they put God to the test. So what, what is this describing? It's, it's describing the time when the Israelites were in the desert after the Exodus and God had been providing food for them by giving them manna each day. But they became discontent with that. Meaning that they were unsatisfied with with the bread that God was giving them. And they grumbled and they complained and they angrily demanded for God to give them meat. But what about us? Are we grumbling about what God has given us? And because of that discontentment, then we give in to the sinful cravings in our own life? You know, we often lie to ourselves and we say that we can only be happy if we get the things that God has chosen not to give us, and so then we give into our cravings rather than waiting patiently, and are we not like the Israelites? And now look down in verse sixteen. We see a similar sin. It's the sin of envy. In verse sixteen, uh, uh, many of the um, uh, many of the community leaders. Had become jealous of the authority and the position of leadership that uh, that Moses and Aaron had, and so they rebelled against them. but do we not do the same uh, when we see God blessing others and using them in good ways, or we see God raising people up in positions of authority instead um, instead of rejoicing instead of submitting to their leadership? Do we not wrongly accuse them? Or do we start rumors about them because we desire that we wish God was using us in that way? We should examine our own life. Another foundational sin that we see in Psalm 106 is the sin of unbelief. We can see this in verses 24 to 25. And those verses, those those verses describe the time. When, when, when God had brought His people to the doorstep of the promised land that He was about to give them. And they send spies into that land to check it out. And the spies come back and report that, oh, the people are big and strong. And then instead of the people going in to take the land, they stand out in fear. And they don't believe that God will give them the promised land. Look at verses 24 and 25 we'll see the response of the people after they heard that report from the spies then they desired the ple- sorry then they despised the pleasant land they did not believe his promise they grumbled in their tents and did not obey the lord you see that these uh, that the that, that the root of this sin was an unbelief In God's promise, brothers and sisters, have we not sinned, even as our ancestors have? God has promised that there is joy in obeying Him. He has promised that there is an eternal land that is waiting for His people. But instead, when we look at sin, we see it as too strong, as too fierce, as that temptation is uh, uh, is too hard to resist. And so we grumble and we despise the way of righteousness because we do not believe that God is actually powerful enough to save us from that temptation. And notice how these sins keep getting worse and worse uh, up to the point in verse 37 where they are actually killing their own sons and daughters as sacrifices to false gods. And as a result, then down in verse 40, it tells us that the Lord abhorred, I mean, meaning that he hated them, he hated them. And this should serve as a warning for us about the about the effects, about the result of forgetting God, of being discontent, of being envious, of not believing not believing God's promises. These sins will grow to produce great wickedness that will eventually lead to us being rejected, abhorred, or, even, or um, even hated by God if we do not humble ourselves and come to Him. Brothers and sisters, I know this may have been hard to hear, but this is what the psalmist is doing. Have we not sinned like our ancestors? And our hearts should break when we see our sin, because God is the one that deserves our praise. So, as we come face to face with sin, what hope do we have? Where is our hope? Let's look at our next point now, and point four, verses forty to forty-eight. Praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His mercy. I'll start reading in verse forty-three. Verse forty-three. He says, Many times He delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. Yet, He took note of their distress when He heard their cry. For their sake, He remembered His covenant and out of His great love, He relented. He caused all who held them captive to show them mercy. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. He took note of their distress. He hears their cry. The cry of those people that were bent on rebellion. And He remembers His promise to clean us from guilt. He remembers His promise in order to refine us and to bring, uh, and to bring all those who come to Him through Christ into the eternal land. A Christianity is not based on a deal with God where, okay, God, I'm going to promise that I'll do good for You so that You do good for me. That is not what Christianity is based on. And thank God that it's not. Because we could never uphold our end of that bargain. Christianity is based on God's love. It is based on God's mercy for us. What do we do for God? Well, we rebel against Him. Just like the people in Psalm 106. But what does God do for us in return? He sends His perfect Son not to condemn us of our sin, but to save us from our sin. Jesus, God's only Son, was perfectly clean and innocent because He had the very nature of God. And yet He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And He stood in the place of sinners. And He suffered as one who was guilty. He suffered on the cross in order to clean sinners of their sin. And this is love. That Christ, the the eternal God, would give up of Himself to die in the place of sinners. And friends, uh, this is not just some philosophy, but this is the love of our personal God. Uh, Flip over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7 tell us of the mercy and love of God despite our sin. Look over at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. It says this At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy." It's because of His mercy. Brothers and sisters, uh, our God does not give us a list of rules and then stand back and say, I hope you can follow them to come to me. No, but in love, He came to us. Uh, after the death of Jesus, Jesus rose from the grave and Jesus is alive today. He has paid for our sins so that He can show us mercy. And this is the hope that we have as sinners that despite our continual sin despite the evilness of our sin that God has promised to withhold his judgment and to pour out his love to pour out his mercy and to pour out his holy spirit on all those who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus for salvation this is a beautiful news if you do not have the hope of knowing that your sins are forgiven Please come talk to me after the service or talk to the person that invited you here. Talk to one of the members here. We would be more than happy to talk with you more about what it means to follow Christ. Don't delay in this. So now, how does this truth, this truth of seeing the depth of God's mercy, how does that truth affect us? I want to close with two applications for us. Two applications. Two applications. The first one is to show mercy to others. Show mercy to others. Uh, When we have been shown this kind of mercy, well, then we must show mercy to others. Um, I've often noticed uh, two common objections to showing mercy to others. And the first one goes like this. But I have shown mercy to that person 100 times. Am I supposed to show mercy to them 101 times? I mean, look, if I continue to show mercy to them, they're never going to learn their lesson. But notice in Psalm 106 that the sins of Israel against God, it wasn't one time. I mean, we're talking a couple hundred years. Generation after generation. And our our own sins against God are day after day, year after year. Yes, it's true that God's mercy is uh, is certainly not an excuse to sin. But we must see that it is God's mercy that leads us to repentance. It is God's mercy that leads us to repentance. Uh, uh, Consider that the good news of Jesus does not tell someone to, hey, uh, you should go fix yourself. Uh, because I know, you know how, how serious your sin has been, and then after you have passed that test of showing that you're serious, then you'll be forgiven. Uh, that is worldly thinking. That is not the thinking of the Gospel. The Gospel tells us, cry out to God for mercy. You will be forgiven. And then in His grace, in His Holy Spirit, you will be empowered to repent of that sin. We are called to continue to show mercy to those who confess and to cry out for help. Uh, uh, even if we are tricked and they fall and they and they fall away again, well, they will answer to God. But a person who is confessing their sin and who is crying out in distress for mercy, they should never be faced with a cold rejection by God's people. Because God has warmly embraced us. The, the other objection that I often hear uh, that people say to uh, why we can't show mercy is to say, but that person's sin, like you don't understand how bad it was. Like it, it's so harmful. It's so terrible that I cannot show mercy. I've been so hurt. Um, if you have been harmed or hurt in a particularly deep and painful way uh, by someone, uh, I am sorry for that. And I understand that that extending mercy uh, does not mean that those, that those painful scars or those, or, or, or those painful memories will just immediately go away. And it doesn't mean that showing mercy means that our trust in that person is fully restored again but see in Psalm 106 that the sin of Israel reached the level of sacrificing their own children. And yet right after that, God took note of their distress when He heard their cry. Even if a sin is extreme, we are called to extend mercy as Christ has extended mercy to us and this means that we should not continue that we should not continue to hold grudges against someone in our hearts and if they are a fellow believer it means that we should view them and treat them as a brother and sister in Christ and when we do this uh, ourselves that person that receives mercy and the community that sees that is led to praise God And that's our second application, is to praise God. Praise God. Look at how the psalmist finishes this psalm of confession here in verses 47 to 48. He says, Save us, Lord our God, and gather us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, let all the people say, "Amen." amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, you are more than welcome to say "Amen" more than when it's in the Scripture. All right. Um, so look in verse forty-seven. That the uh, you see the reason that he desires salvation from the Lord is so that himself uh, and along with all of God's people would give thanks to God's holy name and would glory in His praise. Uh, Standing under the flood of God's mercy should move us to glory in His name, to give thanks to Him and to cry out to Him in praise. We should praise God because God has set His love on a particular people before the foundation of the world. And despite our sin, God sent Jesus to wipe away the sins of those He loves. And He moves the heart of His people then to cry out to Him. And in love, He saves His people. And He will protect us and bring us with Him until the end of time where we will live with God forever in perfect love. So praise God, for He remembers His covenant forever. And His love endures forever. Brothers and sisters, remember, confess and cry out to Jesus who is merciful and loving to save sinners. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, all glory be to Your name. Lord, Your holy name, Lord, the name of Christ that has uh, made the way open for us. Lord, that Your mercy is clearly seen in Christ. Lord, we praise You that we have come to You and we have been warmly received as dearly loved children. Our Father, we pray that uh, seeing this truth of um, uh, of Your mercy shown to us would lead us to praise You. We pray that this truth would lead us to show mercy to others. Lord, we pray that we would dwell on the glories of the Gospel and that we would dwell on the wonderful truth that we can have peace with You because of what You've done for us. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.